What up, what up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to episode number 73 of the Spun Today podcast. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz. Thank you very much for listening. In this episode, I speak about completing the 40th annual New York City Five Borough Bike Tour. Third time for me. I also speak about watching an HBO documentary of David McCullough called Painting with Words. I also watched a Louis C.K. masterpiece called Horace and Pete. And lastly, I wrap up the show by sharing a Spun Today questionnaire response from fellow writer Steph Armstrong. If you're interested in any of that stuff, stick around. All right, so as you guys know, listening to previous episodes of the podcast, I've told you guys that I'm into uh, bike riding, not motorcycles, uh, bicycles, and I've been... And by the way, not on some like Lance Armstrong type shit. I do it once a year, pretty much for the five borough. And I train for a few weeks beforehand. Like I've been telling you guys that that I've been training uh, for this year's five borough. And then the bike goes into the garage and I don't see it for a year approximately. So, (laughs) but it's always a dope, cool experience. And like I've told you guys before, like when I bike ride, um, what I like most about it is taking in the city or whatever bike path that you happen to be riding on uh, through a different lens that you wouldn't see walking through the same exact place or driving through the same exact place. The dope thing about the five borough is that you're not confined to just the bike paths or the streets and stuff like that. Uh, The city in conjunction with bike New York, which is the organization that puts, puts this on every year uh, closes certain bridges certain tunnels uh, a bunch of streets and highways like the fdr and the gowanus parkway and the 59th street bridge the verrazano bridge it closes out a, a portion of central park and uh just like regular streets like through harlem and the bronx and obviously you know uh, all five boroughs it goes through queens the bronx manhattan uh brooklyn and Staten island you're riding through normally very busy streets, uh, especially in the city, uh, like Avenue of the Americas, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that's the one that they closed down, the one right in front of uh, Radio City Music Hall and shit like that. So it's like uh, a dope experience in that sense. And you get to take in the city uh, that way uh, just once a year when they do this. And this year, this was my third time doing the Five Borough with my boy Pablo. Shout out to Pablo. And my fourth uh like bike marathon thing the first time ever out uh, i did the hudson valley and it was the best worst experience ever and shit took i don't know it felt like 10 hours but pretty much my brother shout out to david my boy pablo and i um went on this bike tour the uh hudson valley this had to be like five years ago and we i didn't train that year um it was my first time like bike riding i had just bought the bike went out a couple times um uh, but didn't like take it seriously or anything like that it was a 50 mile uh, bike run i figured you know uh i'll be slow but whatever i can knock it out 50 miles ain't shit and <laughs> it was the fucking worst i had i got cramps like literally like your 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 uh what's it called your quads like cramp up to the point that you literally cannot bend your leg you can't grab and push and bend your leg physically even if you wanted to like it just locks up it's fucking so interesting and you have to get out and like massage the muscle into into it being able to bend again and then you can you know go on pedaling and yeah it wasn't just me it was happening to a bunch of people you know they they fall off not literally fall off the bike but fall off the path, you know, like, go to the side and, like, walk it off and, like, massage their, their quads out and, like, stuff like that. And then midway through, we were literally, like, a mile, mile, like, 22 or something like that, like, dead in the middle. Um, everybody's phone started going off with a uh, uh, fucking typhoon flood warning type of thing. And it was literally a storm from there through the rest of the race. And it was either bike back 20 something miles or continue going the 20 something miles so it was uh give us a dope story to tell 
<laughs> after the fact, but it was, it was like grueling and it, very hilly and it was a bitch. So that was like the the worst experience in terms of um, the bike marathons. This year for the five borough. So thereafter, I did the five borough twice, and this year was my third time uh, doing it. And this year, I would say, was my second worst experience, just because, again, the weather. So, like, training-wise, you know, I learned from the mistake the first time. The last two times I did the five borough, I took it seriously. We trained just like I did this time, so didn't have any issues with cramping or anything like that or, or with physically, you know, being able to get through it or anything like that. But the weather was fairly, fairly good the last few times. And then this past time, it, the weather, it wasn't cold. It wasn't hot. It was like temperature-wise, it was good because um, you don't want it to be too cold. You don't want it to be too hot, but it was windy as fuck. That's what like fucked me up big time um, because the wind was like against us the entire time. There was that much more resistance and like getting through everything. So it was just a bitch. Um, but obviously, we got through it historically at least for me the when you get to the like the final stretch of the guanas parkway it's like you can't see the end of that that parkway it's like like you can't see the end of an ocean like you can't see like it's just as far ahead as you can see like you can't see the end of it and like that part of it it's like the last leg prior to the verrazano bridge which is a bitch in and of itself um, but getting past the the guanas just sucks because it's always windy there regardless and this time it was like extra windy. Um, so I had to stop there. I stopped once there. Aside, you know, aside from we stopped at like two rest stops throughout. I stopped once on the Guanis. I wound up having to stop at the peak of the Verrazano once I got to the top because it was just like maxed out tired. And then just uh, finished off the race. And pro tip, and I guess I'd only be a pro to anybody who's done it once or twice since I've done it three times now, but the, uh, my boy Pablo had an idea. You can either start, you know, go into the city in the morning, which is what we did the first two times. And it starts in lower Manhattan, right? This 40 mile bike ride starts in lower Manhattan and then ends in Staten Island. But then when you do it that way, then at the end of the trip, you have to take the, the ferry back to lower Manhattan to either take the train or, or get your car or whatever. And this this year, he had the idea to drive to... And it's a bitch because at the end, you know, you literally have like 32,000 people trying to do the same thing. And it's, you know, the, the ferries, you know, take like half an hour to go back and forth. And they're maxed out at a certain, certain amount of people. So it's all like a long line. You're just waiting there for like an hour or two. So this year we drove in extra early in the morning and we uh, drove into Staten Island instead. And we took the ferry in the morning, which was quick. We got on the very f first ferry that we were there for and um, just took the ferry into into the city to start. Started the race, then the, the race ends at, in Staten Island. And we didn't have to, you know, get on that long ass line for the ferry to go back into the city because our car was parked in Staten Island. And it was like, you know, they have parking lots set up for you and stuff like that. And it's like eight bucks for the day. So it's like a no brainer. Definitely. If you guys can drive and you choose to do the the uh, bike tour next year, definitely do. Uh, oh, what was super cool this year also, just to wrap up the, the bike talk, was that we all got medals, like actual legit medals. Like they send us an email saying that they were going to give out uh, medals in commemoration of the 40th annual 40th anniversary um of the bike tour and i saw a picture of it, it looked kind of cool but i was like it's probably like some plastic like cheap shit but it's like actually like a heavy metal metal <laughs> which is pretty cool because uh, normally they don't give anything you know you it's you know the experience and the coordination of the event is what they give but you know nothing to actually take back with you um, so this was it was pretty dope that they that they did that. There's a link to the uh, Five Borough Bike Tour page in the episode notes in case you guys want to check it out for a future reference. Uh, that's where you would go to like sign up and stuff like that. Don't lally gag if you're down uh, to do it. You sign up early because it closes up quickly every year, and it's pretty much like the first 
32,000 people. I think that's where they cap it off at, uh, 32,000 people, first come, first serve type of thing. And it costs about 100 bucks to do it. And um, there's people, you know, not just from New York. I actually had a coworker whose cousin was coming up from Atlanta, flying in from Atlanta just to, to like, do the bike tour. And I'm assuming a bunch of other people do that as well. But anyway, check it out. It's in the episode notes. Next, I want to speak to you guys about a pretty cool documentary that I saw. It's on HBO. It's of David McCullough, and it's called Painting with Words. Now, David McCullough is a writer who has twice, aside from other awards, but twice won the Pulitzer Prize for his biographies of Truman and also of John Adams. The Pulitzer Prize, for those of you that don't know, it's a very prestigious like writing award given to or given rather one award per year in 24 or 21 different categories like for poetry biographies drama fiction etc and he's one two of them and he's a writer that as he put it chose as his field uh to tell stories that are true true stories of times that are not of his own so he's a historical writer, but it sounds more like if you're not into history at all, it might sound boring, but it's not like a textbook type. You know, he's not like turning out textbooks like to actual stories like they are biographies like the Wright Brothers or the Great Bridge that he wrote of the Brooklyn Bridge. John Adams, like I said, 1776 is another book of his. I've read none of them, but from his own account and um uh, different people that they interviewed in the in the documentary his style of writing is not dense like uh like a textbook and uh an awesome takeaway that i took from him was how he he creates characters or how deeply he goes into the characters so for example he says that you know certain certain you know facts and stuff like that you could find in any textbook he tries to find something within the person or something that happened within the person that um to tell that story that you know i guess a lesser known story or whatever so in developing to write for thomas jefferson he was in pennsylvania in the, uh what's it called uh, what the fuck is it called i fucking went there on a road trip and everything like a year ago <laughs> declare uh well they signed the declaration of independence independence hall and he's there and he 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 read through his research that thomas jefferson used to climb up these really narrow creaky stairs towards where the liberty bell is um which is where people would go up to like you know fix the liberty bell and fix things on it and and stuff like that yeah but thomas jefferson used to like to go up there and look over the entire city and like clear his thoughts or or whatever and stuff like that um so he took those walks as well and he wanted to like he wanted to get into the character that was thomas jefferson like on some daniel day lewis type of shit you know what i mean like character acting type of thing and he wants to know his his subjects that deeply to write about them and when someone has that type of dedication and passion towards uh their craft towards what they're doing it's no wonder they're you know two-time Pulitzer Prize winning uh, writers and so widely acclaimed. I actually want to want to get that book, The uh, the Great Bridge. Because I heard, I actually, while I was doing the Fibro, actually, um, while we were training for it, my boy Pablo told me um, that that is either the the oldest bridge in New York or the, old, or the first bridge in the country or something like that. Um... It would be interesting. It would be a, a nice introduction to, to David McCullough and his writing. Especially after, like, riding over it and stuff like that. It, it is a, an amazing bridge. Well, all bridges are pretty amazing, right? When you think about what they do, but it's pretty... It's dope. I would like to know the history behind it. I like his actual physical writing... Uh, not style, but... His, his setup. The way he writes. Um, he shows in the documentary and he has a like what looks just like a little shack in the back of his house um you know smaller than a garage just probably like the half of the size 
or less than half of the size, probably like a quarter of the size actually, of like a one-car garage. So it's this really small place and he has no electricity in there. He has a little like a, a gas lantern in case it gets dark and it has a few windows all around. He has, you know, books in there obviously and a typewriter and that's it. And that's his writing space. And that's where he does all his writing. And of course now I want to get a fucking a typewriter, like old school looking uh, typewriter that's actually functional. Just from seeing that, although I can't, I can't imagine writing any like large works on a typewriter. Like I can't imagine the whole. Like I've told you guys, I use Scrivener in the um, and I'm working on my first novel now, and having the ability to like move scenes around and just like see everything look at the global perspective would be lost in typewriting i think um or like my nonfiction book that that I, that I published make way for you check it out and i did that on i didn't do that on scrivener i did that on word and then i wound up importing into scrivener when i got put onto scrivener afterwards but even in word you know it's kind of different from a, a typewriter i can't imagine writing on a typewriter but i guess you know that's what you grew up on that's what you grew up on i remember as a kid me and my brother had a, a typewriter before computers were like a common thing and it was just a bitch like if you mess up a word you have to like go back over like 15 times with like the erase button or something like that and i don't even know how it worked was it like white out that it dabbed on it or something like that i don't know anyway it'd be dope to have kind of like as a like a novelty like a cool old school typewriter and uh two more things the did you guys know that john adams and thomas jefferson both died on july 4th of the same exact year me neither <laughs> and lastly i just want to play a quick clip for you guys from the documentary um but it's actually from the trailer of the documentary and i'll put the full the full uh uh the link for it so you can watch the the trailer in full so you can get a taste of what the documentary is more about and and see if you begin to watching it this was a very 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 important takeaway to me and probably like my main takeaway from the documentary that really resonated with me and is something that i agree should be something that we as writers or or as just as as people right as human beings we put out there for future generations to come the great thing about the arts is that you can only learn to do it by doing it and if a if a child gets that idea early that that's how you learn things by doing it that may be the most important thing you can give them you can't learn to play the piano by reading a book about how to play the piano. You can't learn to paint without painting. Uh, you have to do it. And in doing it, you suddenly begin to see, by God, I can do this. And then after a while, I can not only do this, I'm getting better. Well said, Dave McCullough. And I couldn't agree more. Guys, again, check it out. It's called David McCullough, Painting with Words. And it's a documentary that's currently on HBO. Next up is Horace and Pete. Horace and Pete is a comedy drama. It's a dark, dark comedy drama that was created by comedian Louis C.K. Now, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I believe, and take this with a grain of salt because I may be biased because I listen to so many podcasts uh, of which a lot of comedians uh, take part in you know a lot of comics have podcasts and they go on each other's podcasts and stuff like that so i'm heavily exposed to comics and so take what i'm about to say with a grain of salt but i truly believe that comedians historically and definitely currently are amongst the most brilliant and eclectic minds of human beings so you have you you know you can have scientists and doctors and and philosophers and historians and martial artists and et cetera et cetera et cetera. And what all those fields have in common is that they're kind of sort of like laser focused on what it is that they do. 
writers, painters, etc. To me, and comedians are within the realm of comedy as well. But what they have to take in to enrich that comedy is everything. So they have to be the way their mind works to me as a non-comic. So it could be way off. <laughs> um, but from the outside looking in, they have to be a certain level of ob- objective to be able to take things in and mold them into being funny, mold them into getting whatever their point is across that they want to get across. And that unique ability to me is genius. The ones that take it a step beyond and are actual writers with their craft, not just with their comedy, but in this case with uh, Louis CK that, you know, he's done the show Louis, um, did the show life with Louis as well thereafter which is more him and i think he like wrote produced and directed that one um he did the same thing with this he he wrote and directed horace and pete which he he created from scratch himself and you can see his writing skill his pen game when it comes to the complexity of the characters that he created now we all know there's different types of of story right you know there's plot-driven stories, character-driven stories. This is definitely a character-driven story to me. It's all about the characters, all about the going deep, past beyond the first layer of the person and going deep into the character and in doing so, addressing issues of transgender, mental illness, family uh, the relationships, alcoholism, sex, politics, aspirations, complacency. The writing is just fucking phenomenal, man. Louis C.K. is he's a gem. He's just awesome. And I remember first hearing about this show when he did Marin's podcast. And he was promoting the show. And he he was like crying, describing it. And, you know, comics are, some comics are, are known to be, like, in their heads or, and, like, in tune with, with their emotions to, to a certain extent. Um, I wouldn't just call it, like, quote-unquote emotional. And, but I found it weird. Until I started watching the show, and I started, I was getting choked up through, throughout the series. And at that point was when like i truly appreciated like how much of his soul he like put into each character like it wasn't just topical information like that's the funny guy that's the slutty girl that's the gay dude that's the douchebag guy that's the girl next door that's the hardworking lady that you know it wasn't just that it's like each person was actually a person. And it was chock full of my favorite dialogue and monologues. Monologues. Definitely, definitely my favorite. Hence these single random rants that I make you find folks listen to. <laughs> but in writing and movies and stuff like that, that's what I gravitate towards. Like Aaron Sorkin type dialogue and just like sick monologues. The cast consisted of Steve Buscemi which did an amazing job. Edie Falco, uh, Alan Alda, and he had a bunch of comics, which was super cool, just like a nod to comedians. Um, a bunch of comics on there that I recognized, again, from podcasts, which was Kurt Metzger, Nick DiPaolo, Dub Davidoff, uh, Mark Normand. Kurt Metzger's character was one of my favorites. And there was actually a, a cool political scene that what I like about it too is that like certain issues that that or all the issues that I mentioned earlier like mental illness politics like shit like that that he addressed throughout the series that you kind of leave with thinking like huh that is true or oh, I didn't think of it that way which as a writer that's what you hope for right that's what I hope for I hope that my writing somehow uh help somebody or, or make somebody think differently not because i have the the right answers or all the answers but because that might that uh train of thought might spark some other sort of thought or inspiration in them to help them find the answer of whatever it is that they're looking for or help somebody else you know open up their mind in a different way etc 
so it was cool when like having like the quintessential debate between like democrat and and republican and seeing there was like this cool scene where one of them says yeah but republicans you know all they care about is god and and trying to you know not letting women choose and like stuff like that and then uh the republican guy played by nick DePaulo was like oh but all all you liberals want to do is is act like holier than thou and 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 shove your your hippie tree hugging bullshit down, down our throats and blah, blah blah and then there's a guy in the middle like mediating it and then he points out he lets the republicans say you know what do you stand for like not what he thinks you stand for but what do you stand for and he explains what being a republican is from his standpoint which was like admirable things like love of country and not straying too far off the path from what got us to the dance type of thing and belief that the government shouldn't meddle uh too much in the private lives of its citizens etc and then uh the peer mediator guy in the middle tells the the liberal to say you know what does it mean to to you what does that being a democrat mean to you and then he explains admirably as well things like you know using our uh current technologies and 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 financial abilities to help lift others because we can and that that shouldn't be seen as a bad thing etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's stuff that they could agree on so the peer mediator guy completely diffused the situation and and made them both kind of sort of see each other in a different light and then the mediator guy says see if we approach this conversation that way wouldn't that allow us to you know go across the aisle and actually work with each other more as opposed to these preconceived notions that you know we're starting off like behind the eight ball and then they're they're kind of like all like in agreement and you feel like it's about to be like the end of of the scene and you kind of get that takeaway from like both sides you know and then Kurt Metzger chimes in from left field because he was just like sitting at the bar and um, he wasn't even part of the conversation. <laughs> he just chimes in like saying, what the fuck? You're assuming that's what they want. They don't want that shit. It's just about teams. My team versus their team. They just want to beat each other. That's it. That's what it's about. Like that team mentality type of thing. It's just it's a sick show, man. It has like also like for me, like a touch of nostalgia because I worked uh, like my first jobs were were in um in bars and they like I worked like probably four years four or five years in bars bars and restaurants um two of them and like you get like that riffraff of different types not riffraff in a negative way but just like that influx and and that flow of like just different minds and different types of people like in and out in and out in and out all just like living life but like in their own ways and it's interesting to see that on screen and a good point like my brother uh, pointed out it's kind of like a it feels like a play because there's no like bullshit like laugh tracks and stuff like that that you see in sitcoms now the last thing i'll say about the show uh, that I want to uh, play play a little clip for you guys is uh, back to what I was saying of like each character being like very deeply developed. And what I'm about to play uh, for you guys is a, a small clip of of uh, just like a, a side, a very side character. Um, you know, it has this one scene in the entire series, uh, you know, just a random uh, drunk guy that tries to hit on the bartender slash owner lady played by Edie Falco. And he has his little monologue and says something to the effect of that. Everyone has a story. Check it out. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. I, I was just trying to connect with, with, with you. And I can see, I just don't, don't, don't mean a hang to, to you at, at all. Uh, it, but that's how it always is. See, that's what happens when I reach out, I make myself vulnerable to a new per person it's classic i reach out i i i talk from my heart i put my feelings on the line and it's like i don't even exist like i was never born right like my parents never met like they never had me or my my my, my or, or my, my my brother see see I, I, i'm a person i have a story that's right i either watch my brother every night because they worked every night and then one night they, they, they don't come home so I took care of him, and now my brother's happy, and he's strong, because I raised him. I raised him good. I, 
and, and only two years older than him. And now he doesn't talk, talk, talk to me and look, look at me. I, I struggle, and so I appear weak. And people don't, no one wants to look, look, look at me. People don't want to look at the weak because it reminds them of their own weakness. But what they don't get, what they don't get is that when someone's struggling, it means he's strong. He's strong because the weak don't struggle. They just die. So whatever you th th think of me, I I'm alive. I'm alive. So go ahead. I ignore me. Go about your day, even though I'm the one who made you feel special. Just like my brother. Just like my brother when I gave him the strength to neglect me. I put you on a pedestal. And now you can't see me. But so, and so fine. So do, it, do whatever you, you want. It's just typical. I've come to expect it. That was such important scene to me. Like a big uh, takeaway. It resonated with me a lot. Because I feel that we are very much so, I know I am, and I think a lot of people are, so much so, like in our own heads, that we're kind of like the protagonists, right, of our own stories. But we don't realize that everybody else has their own story, like this character said. We, I mean, we intellectually, we understand that, right, obviously. But I don't feel that we internalize that enough and realize that, you know, other people are going through their own shit and factor that into the way that we communicate with them the way we interpret what they're seeing and you know we in a case like this like blow them off and that that scene with that character made me look at every other character in Horace and Pete in the story in that way like a lot more deeply and recognize a lot more depth for each other character which is like genius in and of itself of the writing and putting that monologue into the story so again if any of you are interested it's called horse and pete and uh there are links in the episode notes for you guys to check out uh you can purchase them purchase the entire season directly from louis ck's website for 31 bucks or if you want to try it out i, I believe the breakdown is five dollars for the first episode uh two dollars for the second episode and then every other episode is three bucks each there's 10 episodes total but definitely check it out however you can. It's one of the the best complete series that I've seen. Alrighty, now let's wrap up the show with a Spun Today questionnaire response from fellow writer Steph Armstrong. Steph Armstrong, you guys can check out on Twitter. Her Twitter handle is at Steph, S-T-E-P-H, E-N-E, spelled E-E-E-N-I-E. So Stephanie basically with all the extra E's and Stephanie has a free workbook for creatives that's coming out on the 27th. I'm assuming of this month of May and it's called find your flow, a quick start guide to getting your creativity back. So let's take a look and see what Steph had to say and to share with us by filling out the questionnaire. Question number one. Relating to your craft, do you remember the first thing you ever wrote or created? If so, what was it? Steph wrote, I can't say I remember the details. I definitely remember writing some boy band fiction when I was in middle school for my friends. Sounds pretty cool. I uh, don't know exactly. I'm ashamed to say what any like fan fiction is. I uh, was never into that, but my understanding is that it's, you know, pretty much just writing fiction and using the, the, in this case, like the boy band as like characters within your fiction. So I would, I'm assuming something to the effect of, oh, Justin Timberlake came to, you know, junior high school 210 and sang for us and he pull picked me out of my sea of friends at the prom and I danced with him on stage and it was magical, blah, blah, blah. Like that type of thing, I'm assuming. It's cool to see like people's 
evolution though like different things that they used to be into i mean we all go through phases right especially like in our preteen and teenage years and stuff like that me for example i can get just as motivated or just as into eminem jay-z uh tribe called quest whatever as like back in the day when i was like in middle school actually or um very early high school as i could get into truly madly deeply savage garden or uh god must have spent in sync or sometimes britney spears or, you know like those types of songs which i probably shouldn't be admitting publicly but whatever fuck it <laughs> we're all uh eclectic beings into a bunch of different types of things all right so let's go on to question number two what inspires you to write or create steph responded i'm a big believer in finding inspiration nearly everywhere while bursts of inspiration can sometimes come from seemingly nowhere, that's not exactly accurate to say. Every moment of creativity has a source. At some point, a seed was planted. Anytime I catch myself saying, oh, or that's interesting, I make a mental note, or more often, an actual note, in my phone, on my hand, wherever. I'm never short of ideas. Whether or not those ideas are good ideas, is up for debate. But in a general sense, I feel a compulsion to create. It's just a part of who I am. And when I deny that part, I feel its impact on my general mental health. So whether I have an idea that feels worth exploring or not, knowing this is vital to who I am and inspires me to keep moving forward. Very well said, and I couldn't agree more. Especially with the the a good takeaway for everybody listening you know fellow writers and stuff like that because i hear way too often and including uh with myself that you know you get ideas or or you have a dream or in the middle of the night you have an idea that you know quote unquote comes out of nowhere and you push it off to oh you know i'll remember it this is way too good of an idea or whatever you know even if it's not like if you don't have that immediate connection to it you're like, oh, you know, I'll obviously remember this in the morning. Then morning comes or later on and poof, it's gone and it doesn't come back. And that happens way too often. Don't let stuff like that go. Take Steph's advice and literally write it down. Write it on your phone. You know, there's a bunch of apps out there. Your phone comes with writing apps. You can download a bunch of free apps. Like day one that we've mentioned in the past on the podcast, Evernote. Scrivener has an app for your phone, which is not free, but um, I use it and it's pretty dope because if you it works very easily and seamlessly with your Scrivener on your computer and, you know, you update something to the computer, it pops up on your phone like once you sync it and you, it's literally like a button that you click that syncs it and vice versa. So like I write a lot on the train. And I click sync when I come home on the, on the computer. Everything that I updated, all my notes and stuff are on the computer as well. So it's pretty dope. But the point is, write it down. Write it even on your hand, if necessary. I use, like, notebooks a lot. And I heard an, uh, Joe Rogan mentioning a different comic. I think it was Ari. Speaking about Ari, Shafir, I believe... It's, and if it's a different comic, I apologize, but um, they were speaking about ideas, you know, the same exact topic and saying that their notebook is like a net for ideas. Now, I want to say it was actually Bill Burr or Russell Peters now. I don't know why. But anyway, the point is that they treat their notebook as like a net for ideas. So all the ideas that they have, whether good, bad, whatever, that, that comes later. And it's also subjective. So who gives a fuck? All the ideas that you have treat that notebook as like your net for ideas you're just catching ideas and by catching them i mean writing them down and you have them for later that's it you caught them they're in your net what you do with them thereafter is a separate process but just in terms of pinning them down write them down the second part that was very interesting to me was the whole uh part about uh when you deny you know exercising your craft it, you notice uh, an impact on your general mental health, which I was actually having a conversation about this with my wife recently. 
and she was like that she sees me like more calm lately and 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 not as frustrated as i used to be or or like a snappy etc and i attributed that to um three things meditating which i've i've actually been on a on my longest streak of um going on like two and a half months now uh, meditating every day for 10 minutes a day and also to writing and podcasting because they're both like my outlets and i've said it before you know it's a way it's uh cathartic and therapeutic for me and i just get shit out and you're not as as wound up and you have like you have some place to expend that energy and it just it doesn't have to be you know some people in some people that manifests in going to the gym and and getting out that physical energy but that like mental energy you need like an outlet for that as well for me it's writing and podcasting so i definitely feel you on that all right question three what is a hobby that you have that is unrelated to your craft and steph responded everything can come back around to writing in my experience but this ties back to my habit of actively seeking out inspiration or ideas in everything i do I love checking out new modes of storytelling, ARG campaigns, I don't know what that is, twine games, movies, television, serial fiction podcasts. My hobbies all revolve around storytelling in some sense. And that's pretty dope. Um, Obviously, I'm into like movies and television and stuff like that also uh, on these uh, random rant episodes, which are different from the the free writing episodes where I just focus on like writing pieces that I've done that I've written. Um, the random rant episodes is where like I get into stuff like in this episode, uh, TV shows that I'm watching or, or movies and like break them down. But I definitely get inspiration from them. That's why I'm like drawn to them. They inspire me to want to write better, want to strive to be better, want to, for example, now develop characters much more deeply in my stories. I'm not sure what the ARG campaigns are or Twine games, but again, you know, different strokes for different folks. And I definitely agree. Inspiration can and does come from any anything and everything that you do. Uh, serial fiction podcasts. Um, check out, it's not necessarily serial fiction, but it's serial, I guess, historical fiction, historical account. Um... And I mentioned it in episode, I mentioned it in detail in episode 71, I want to say of the podcast or episode 70. Um, one of the recent podcasts uh, that I did stuff, check it out. I spoke about Bronzeville, uh, a podcast in detail, which might be something that you would be interested in if you're into a serial fiction podcast. Question number four, how do you get yourself to sit down and do your work when you're not motivated to? And Steph responded, the only motivation I need these days is the reminder that nothing will change if I don't show up at the page and do the work. Brilliantly said. I couldn't agree more. It's uh, like the sentiment of Stephen Pressfield in The War of Art of fighting resistance and doing so by showing up. It's also a sentiment um, related by David McCullough in the clip that I played for you guys earlier where he said that you can only learn by doing it. Stephen King speaks of this as well in his book on writing. So I absolutely, absolutely couldn't agree more. And lastly, question number five. Do you have any advice for other writers or creators, whether they're new, seasoned, or otherwise? And Steph responded, don't take the advice of others too seriously we're all making it up as we go and with that said i can't say anything else so <laughs> no i'm joking <laughs> um that's absolutely 100 percent true one of the one of the main things that that i realized early on and just um before i started podcasting now going on well like two and a half years or before i started taking writing seriously um, for a couple years longer than that was, you know, in listening to different interviews with different authors and, and podcasters and stuff like that, it's like a switch went off. And I don't know if maybe everybody knows this 
and I was left out in the dark uh, longer than others. Um, but in case you are still in that place, realize that we're all just throughout life in general. Like we're all, and I noticed this e- even at work also, nobody has things all figured out. They don't. They are literally making it up as they go and, and not just making it up out of thin air, but like learning things as they go and learning different aspects to to their trade or whatever it is that they're trying to learn as they go. And again, you can only learn by doing it. There's no set paths to to writing, to podcasting, to painting, to to being an accountant, to anything. There's slight variations in each and every one of those fields and each of every one of the people within those fields. Everybody has a story. And you just got to create your own. Steph, thank you again very much for taking the time to fill out the Spun Today questionnaire. If any other fellow writers or creatives would like to fill out their version of, feel free to go to spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. And again, you all can follow Steph on Twitter at Stephanie, spelled S-T-E-P-H-E-E-E-N-I-E. And remember that on the 27th of, I believe, May 2017, she has her workbook coming out, a workbook for creatives, which is free. And it's called Find Your Flow, a quick start guide to getting your creativity back. And that's the episode for this week, folks. If you want to stick around for a few more minutes, I'll clue you in on a couple ways you can help support me in the podcast. But if you got to go, I understand. Thanks for uh, tuning in. And I'll check you out next time. So you know the drill, folks. There are several ways you can help support this or any podcast. And a very, very big way to do so is by rating and reviewing the podcast and subscribing to it. Whether you listen on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Pocket Casts, on Google Play, on iHeartRadio, on TuneIn, on YouTube, on Tumblr... There's a shitload of places you can listen to the Spun Today podcast, and each and every one of those places allows you to rate and review the podcast. Please do so to help it rise in ranking and give it more exposure to others that may be interested in it. Another way you can help support me in the podcast is by signing up to the Midday Monday Boost Letter. It's my weekly newsletter, which I send out every Monday at noon. Hence the name. See what I did there? And what you will receive is five things that i'm interested in which is photography podcasts words quotes and videos so i share with you a podcast of the week which is a podcast that i've heard within the uh, past few weeks that i found interesting resonated with me entertaining funny enlightening helpful to some degree and i wanted to share with you fine folks uh, also a photograph of the week. I follow a lot of different photographers that I find cool either on Instagram or, or elsewhere. And I feature one of their uh, photographs each and every week on the Midday Monday Boost Letter. You get the drill. There's also a video of the week, a quote of the week, and a word of the week. So check it out. Sign up for free at spuntrade.com forward slash subscribe. You can also, uh, on that page, check out uh, previous uh, midday monday boost letters the archive which is located there and see if it's something that you might be into and if you're not after you subscribe you can feel free to subscribe at any time you can check out some of my photography at spuntrade.com forward slash photography uh, feel free to download any of those for free that you may be interested in check out my book make way for you you can order a paperback version from amazon or an ebook version wherever ebooks are sold whether it's via kindle ibooks or anywhere else that you get your ebooks. Uh, if you want to see more, um, read more of what the book is about, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books, and there you'll see a little video of little Omi describing what the book is about, and also a few audio excerpts of the actual book that you can listen to for free at spuntoday.com forward slash books. Also, if you can't purchase it or don't want to for whatever reason, but you still want to check out the book, I'll send you a free copy. Uh, Just drop in your email address right there on that landing page, spuntoday.com forward slash books, and I'll shoot you over a free copy. 
What else? What else? What else? You can help support the podcast financially by shopping on Amazon or on iTunes and getting there by way of my affiliate links. Go to spuntrade.com forward slash affiliate links. And there you can click on, for example, the Amazon banner. It'll take you to Amazon's website just like it normally does. And you can do your shopping just like you normally do. It will not cost you anything extra whatsoever. And Amazon just gives me a little taste of their profits just for driving traffic towards their website. So it literally has zero impact on you. Well, a tiny impact on you in the sense of you having to go to spuntray.com, clicking on the affiliate links banner, and then doing a second click onto uh, the Amazon banner. But that's virtually zero, right? Almost no impact on you. And it helps out a lot. So check that out. Spuntray.com forward slash affiliate links. There you can check out uh, the Spuntray merch, which is located at uh, the Viral Style store. Um, you'll find links to that. There you can get t-shirts, coffee mugs, stuff like that. Also, you can there you can find the link to my Patreon page. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash spun today that's a way that you can help support the podcast on a episode by episode basis it's kind of a reoccurring donation type of thing um that you can set up to donate whatever you want whether it's a quarter a dollar ten dollars a million dollars per episode and um check it out there's a an informational video to tell you exactly how patreon works it's free to use you know minus of course what you're going to be donating and you can stop it at any time there's no fees no bullshit if you donate a dollar a dollar comes out of your account once you set it up um it's not like a dollar eight or no taxes no no bullshit it's pretty straightforward check it out if you're interested you can also choose to do a one-time donation via the paypal donation button and um what else what else the uh, youtube page i've told you guys before and i'll tell you again check it out the youtube page i do release the podcast in its full version on the youtube page but i also release uh i also cut them up into more digestible pieces per topic on the youtube page so check that out just search for spun today within youtube and follow me on social media as always at at spun today on instagram or at spun today on twitter i gotta remember to put pictures and shit from the uh, five borough tour somebody remind me to do that or i'll remind myself i just say that to remind myself actually my wife gives me shit about that all the time she's like i'm not gonna remember and i'm like yeah i know but me telling you to remind me actually does the reminding for me anyway <laughs> um at spun today on twitter at spun today on instagram and like the facebook fan page facebook.com forward slash spun today and lastly as always folks substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams thanks for listening